Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together as we come now to uh, study God's Word. Father, we uh, thank you that uh, indeed we are studying your Word. And we remind ourselves as we prepare to do so that this is your Word. And so we ask that as we, by your Spirit, we pray, discern, and uh, hear and understand your word that you would take out of our minds and hearts wrong ideas, false beliefs, idols, that uh, the living word of God would accomplish this for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I once had a very strange dream. I was in Kiev. Uh, it's the capital of Ukraine. I was about to catch a flight to Tbilisi, the capital of the Republic of Georgia. The evening before we were due to fly out, I began to run a fever. I was 22 at the time and healthy and expected the sickness to be short-lived. However, the fever quickly broke 104, which is pretty high for an adult. And as I lay there that evening, I had a feverish, strange dream. Here it is. I saw what looked like a conveyor belt, rather like the conveyor belt that appeared in a British game show of the time. (laughs) And like that conveyor belt, items would appear on it which uh, participants uh, would select as their prizes for winning the game show. Well, various items went past, which I do not recall. But as I dreamt this dream over and over again that uh, feverish night, my briefcase always appeared. It was before iPads, and I had a particular briefcase that I was using. Slowly on the conveyor belt came my briefcase. And then, you see, having grown up, like perhaps some of you, uh, reading Narnia books, after the briefcase, each time I dreamt the dream, Aslan appeared, standing on the conveyor belt, 
looked me in the eye and said, Who are you and whom do you serve? I remember thinking at the time, how interesting in my dream I made sure my grammar was correct. (laughs) Not who do you serve, but whom do you serve? The wonders of a Cambridge education even appearing in the midst of a 144 degree fever. Well, this question was repeated exactly at the same time, each time I dreamt the dream that night. And each time, I answered the same way. I am Josh, and I serve the living Lord. I was reminded of that dream as I read this passage, for in essence... It is the heart of what Jesus is saying. Who are you? Whom do you serve? See, Jesus is presenting us with a choice. There's no middle ground. We either serve God or we serve things, possessions, money, stuff. And in this passage, he gives us three very good reasons why we should serve God. And each of them actually underlined the sort of theme that runs through it, which is that serving God is to treasure what is really most treasurable, the best. Well, here's the first reason. You'll see it in verses 19 and 20. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying that stuff, things, possessions, money, is a risky treasure. God is a safe treasure. Now, I want you to notice that here Jesus is not speaking against selfishness. We're all aware that selfishness is not a good thing, but Jesus here is not addressing that issue. For each of the two options he presents are indeed for ourselves. Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So Jesus is telling us what truly is best for yourself. what is truly most treasurable for the self. Now, I also want you to notice, and perhaps this is obvious, but it needs to be said, that Jesus is not speaking against investments and pensions and saving and prudent care of financial resources. For he does not say, do not use treasures on earth. Uh, He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Or literally, uh, do not treasure for yourself treasures. There's an interesting sort of repetition there. Do not treasure for yourself treasures. Jesus is speaking against treasuring treasures on earth, not just using treasures on earth, investments and pensions and prudent saving. And again, this may also be obvious, though perhaps not, given all the discussion after the sort of Wall Street crash a few years ago. But uh, Jesus here is not uh, uh, speaking only about money, in a sort of precise cash sense, but treasures. That is, uh, the things or stuff that we could treasure on earth. Now, that is as wide a category as the human heart can imagine. (laughs) 
toys, tools, career ambition, ministry success. Now, of course, this section in the Sermon on the Mount is about how Jesus follows how to relate to the practicalities of the daily living, daily life, as opposed to the previous section, which is specifically about kind of religious, you know, prayer, fasting, that kind of thing. But it is a wider category, and the human heart can invent many different ways to treasure things on earth. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his comments on this section, says that some people accept, for instance, a higher-ranking position in a ministry, only to find that as a result there's a gradual diminishing of spiritual power. Well, whatever it is, whatever kind of treasure, we know it because we treasure it. (laughs) Your treasure is what you treasure. Now, again, this may be obvious, but we have to be clear in our understanding. Jesus is not speaking against enjoying treasures, enjoying things. Jesus does not say, uh, do not enjoy life on earth, be really miserable. Don't you know you're my follower? Got to be miserable. He doesn't say, don't enjoy food. I want you to eat food that has no taste in it. And anything pleasurable is uh, not my will for you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say don't enjoy culture or music or art or whatever it is that uh, you might find enjoyable here. For instance, uh, later in the Bible, Paul tells Timothy, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And it's one of the key distinctives, Timothy says, between a true teacher of uh, the Bible and a false teacher, that a true teacher will say that uh, because of the fact that God is a creator, and he's a good God, he longs for you to enjoy what he gives and receive it with thanksgiving. Whereas false teachers will try to make you um, reject all these things and become sort of depressive and narrow and negative about life here. In fact, he he addresses specifically a little later in the same letter, uh, rich people, and he tells them to be generous. But then he also says, well, remember that you should rely on God, perhaps thinking of their tendency to worry with all the things that they have to manage. Remember that you can rely on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So the kind of God we worship, brothers and sisters, is a God who provides us things to enjoy. And the Bible tells us to thank him for that. Now, we're not to treasure treasures on earth, but instead treasure them, treasure treasures in heaven. How do we do that? I mean, we cannot, you cannot literally send God a check, can you? Or, you know, um, literally put money in the bank of heaven, literally. What does it mean? Well, here are some ideas, and again, there's a theme that I think runs through it about how you do it, and you, as you listen, <laughs> will discern that. So to lay out treasures in heaven is to so invest in this life that it pays dividends in the next life. So, for instance, giving money to church or mission or evangelism is storing up treasures in heaven if it's a, you know, part of God's work, God's kingdom. Why? Well, telling someone about Jesus so that they might go to heaven is storing up treasure in heaven, for they then will be in heaven, you see. Or developing our own spiritual maturity is storing up treasure in heaven. Of course, Jesus is not teaching, again, maybe this is obvious, but we need to correct a possible misunderstanding. Jesus is not teaching that uh, we can earn 
our way to heaven by storing up treasures there. He's talking about the expression of a heart. So he says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So it's about a faith commitment. But if our real faith commitment is in God and in heaven, then we'll express that by treasuring treasures in God and in heaven. Again, what does it mean to do so? Well, here are some other examples. And again, you'll get the theme that runs through them, I think, by the end. Treasuring treasures in heaven is using your opportunities, your resources, your gifts, in such a way that they pay eternal interest, dividends. For instance, a car doesn't last forever, whatever the commercials may tell you. But if you use a car to take someone to hear about Jesus and they're converted, that person you have invested in forever. Words just written on a paper, they can rot or be deleted on a computer, forgotten. But the word of God is eternal. And as we explain that word and point people to Jesus, we are investing in people who, if they trust in Jesus, live forever to enjoy him in glory in heaven. So to take our treasures and treasure them in heaven then is to, here's the theme, is to use our treasures, money, personality, gifts, resources, and invest them in God's work in people following Jesus. That will last forever because they will last forever. The church is an eternal institution. Now, why are we to do so? Well, because stuff is a risky treasure. God is a safe treasure. Moth and rust destroys, thieves break in and steal. That does not happen in heaven. Neither moth nor rust destroys, thieves do not break in and steal. Now, of course, in the ancient world, uh, this uh, perhaps uh, happened more frequently than today. Moths more regularly destroyed clothes then. Rats and mice more frequently ate grain. Thieves more commonly broke into homes. And now, you may think, we are better at protecting ourselves with burglar alarms and pesticides and rust-proof paint. But we're still vulnerable, aren't we, to economic slumps and inflation or deflation, or whatever is going to happen to the economy next. And even if you manage to read the market right, and even if you manage to use the correct basement sealer to protect your possessions against the latest flood, you cannot take it with you. Treasuring treasures in this life, then, is as nonsensical as an undergraduate student spending every waking moment playing ultimate frisbee and doing no studies at all without realizing that one day an employer will not ask how fast you throw a frisbee but how well you know an algorithm. It is as irrational as a trader investing all his resources in a known Ponzi scheme. It is as foolish as sailing the ocean in a paper cup when you could choose an aircraft carrier. More so. Because our treasures we treasure here are not only potentially vulnerable and potentially successful, however unlikely that might sometimes seem, no, they are certainly insecure. Whereas treasures in heaven are as safe as God himself. 
So that's the first reason why we are to treasure God, not stuff, because stuff is a risky treasure. God is a safe treasure. Now, the reality, though, is, my friends, you and I are unlikely to listen to this advice if that was all that Jesus told us, because the next world seems so distant and this world seems so real. We would always be likely to live in such a way as to treasure all that we can now, for though we know it is risky, at least it seems real and it's present and it's immediate and tangible. It would seem much more risky to us to give up those treasures from this life for the sort of speculative possibility of rewards in the next life. However much a minister might say eternal is eternal and this life is short. So then Jesus, as a good and perfect minister above all others, then next in his case for treasuring God, not possessions and things and money and stuff, tells us not only that treasuring God is a safe treasure, But the treasuring God uh, has an impact right now upon our own personalities, hearts, and um, psychology. That is, it affects who we are as people and how filled with light we are. So then his second reason is from verses 21 to 23. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So there's the, where your treasure is, there your heart be also, and then he illustrates it. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is saying something like this. God is a vision of complete inner light that comes as a result, whereas stuff is a vision in the end of complete inner darkness. What Jesus is doing, you see, my friends, is he's explaining why it is that some people's lives and personalities and hearts and psychologies seem to be so full of darkness, whereas other people's lives seem to be so full of light. And then in explaining it, he's also advising us how to make sure that our lives are filled with light and joy and peace and warmth, all the good things that are symbolized by light. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a transition verse. Jesus has told us that treasuring treasures on earth is a risky business. Treasuring treasures in heaven is as safe and eternal as God. Now he tells us that where we treasure determines where our heart will be. Our treasures decide our hearts. In Hebraic understanding, you see, the heart was not simply a sort of feeling place or romantic place, but the place of both feeling and thinking and willing. The heart in the Bible is who I am. And so that explains why uh, Jesus then talks about the eyes, the lamp of the body. It seems to many people has done a strange image, but Jesus is using this as an illustration. He's saying that what we look at, our vision, where we focus our attention That will impact our personality, heart, psychology, whether we are filled with light or with darkness. And so the healthy eye here is a a single eye, a focused eye, a sincere or generous eye with a vision for treasures in heaven. The bad eye here is the greedy or jealous or stuff-focused vision for accumulation here. See, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying the person who treasures treasures on this earth will inevitably become a certain kind of person. 
Whereas the person who treasures treasures in heaven will inevitably become a different kind of person. So this is not just about pie in the sky when you die. This is steak on your plate while you wait. (laughs) This is who we will become in our own hearts, filled with light or filled with darkness. If our vision is for treasuring stuff on earth, we will become fully internally darkened. If our vision is for treasuring treasures in heaven, we will become fully internally lightened, full of darkness, full of light. We will become people of joy and peace and freedom and light as opposed to people of anger and bitterness and slavery and darkness. Two images, dark and light, could not more powerfully indicate the choice before us. They also could not more winsomely draw us in to put our treasures in heaven for the lights that will shine in our own hearts, in our own bodies, in our own lives. See, Jesus wants you to be filled with light. (laughs) And so he tells you that the way to be so is to have a vision for treasures in heaven. The reason why those who have a vision for treasures in heaven become people filled with light is really quite simple. It's because the human soul is made for more than stuff. Trying to satisfy yourself with things on earth Cars, houses, airplanes, money, ambition, career. It's like trying to satisfy a dolphin in a bathtub. A dolphin was made to swim freely with bountiful space around it, enjoying the satisfaction of using its supple muscles to move vigorously through the, through the sea. A person is made for God. You are made to explore the infinite majesty and beauty of the divine person. Now, trying to satisfy your human soul with a new car is like trying to satisfy a ravenous lion with a frozen beef burger. You are made for life in the raw. You are made for God himself with all his thrilling, dangerous light. Not for the created things, but for the creator. Not for temporary minor pleasures, but for eternal pleasures. Your soul, if focused upon treasures on earth, will inevitably become gradually more and more disappointed and disillusioned. There is no other possibility any more than a dolphin in a bathtub could feel happy. There was a woman uh, I knew once who was very wealthy. She had married a trader on the New York Stock Exchange, and he had performed remarkably well for a number of years and had become intensely Prosperous. At the end of his career, they moved uh, to Florida. Soon afterwards, he became sick, though, and was unable to look after himself, and she, who had waited so long to enjoy the money, was now a caregiver. Not long after, she herself began to fade, and her family became concerned as to whether she was able to manage the money anymore, or look after the father, or indeed herself, greatly fearing how to broach such a conversation. In the end, the management of the estate 
was mentioned. As soon as the word money was spoke, this uh, now old and sick woman looked up and her face twisted into a scowl. And the intonation of her voice changed and she said, it's my money. I knew another man, not wealthy. He gave opportunity for um, prosperity by entering the ministry and became remarkably successful in that career, so busy that his uh, devotional life with God and his quiet times began to suffer. He is presented at some point in the journey with a choice. His personal fulfillment or following God come what may, he chose the former, I'm afraid. He left his family, his church, to pursue a lover. Last I heard of him, he was seen in a bar, a bitter, sad, lonely, old man. I know someone else too. She has not written any books, and it may be that books will not be written about her. She lives in a simple house where she nursed her husband through a degenerative disease to its final end and looks after another family member with the same genetic tendency. She has, in the quiet and unknown to all but a few, mentored, prayed for, encouraged, supported, advocated for, person after person, student after student, pastor after pastor. And despite the inevitable rust and moths and thieves of life, she is filled with light. It's quite remarkable. But then, uh, if we listen to Jesus, it should not surprise us. My friends, treasure God, not stuff. Jesus gives three very good reasons. Stuff's risky. God is safe. God is a vision of complete inner light, and that will be the result. Stuff, complete inner darkness, full of darkness. Now here comes the third reason and the final reason that Jesus says to us to treasure God, not stuff, and that is that we have to choose. <laughs> you cannot serve both. Choose your master. This is verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, again, we've got to clarify this so we understand it correctly and apply it accurately. As we've already seen, this category of money is broader than simply cash or credit or gold. It's whatever we treasure. The word for money here, as you'll see in your footnote, is the word mammon, uh, a Semitic word for money or more generally for possessions. So that needs to be clarified. We also need to clarify that Jesus does not say you cannot have both God and money. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Now, you know, to be honest, I've known people with very little money who nonetheless actually spend their lives trying uh, to serve money. 
not about the quantity of money you have. It's about uh, whether you're serving money or God. For I've known other people who, uh, again, to be honest, have a lot of money. But nonetheless, they spend their lives trying to serve God with their money. And again, to be clear and make sure we accurately then apply uh, this uh, passage, perhaps here it's also worth clarifying uh, an equally famous text that you may have heard many times misquoted. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says this, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil, as that famous text is frequently misquoted. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's an important distinction. Who do we serve? Now, the reason why we cannot serve God and money is, again, quite simple. It is because God is a master. No one can serve two masters. God is a master. God is not an employer. You can have two employers. You cannot have two masters. A servant or a slave can only have one master. You can have money and also serve God, and you can use money in your service of God. But you cannot serve money and also serve God. Why? Because God is not an employer. He is a master. The God of the Bible is our master or he is not really our God. And so Jesus makes this choice quite clear. Trying to serve money and serve God is actually impossible. It's like trying to be in two places at one time or driving two cars at one time. It's not a hard thing to do, serving God and serving money. It's an impossible thing. Not a hard thing to do like juggling two jobs at one time. Hard but possible. It's not a dangerous thing to do simply like texting and driving at the same time. Possible not to be advised. It's an impossible thing to do. Like being in two places at one time. People then would have understood this. By the nature of the master-slave relationship in the ancient world, they would have understood that it's impossible to serve two masters. See, my friends, the God of the Bible is God. He's not seeking people to hire or friends to accumulate or fans to follow or supporters to cheer him along. He's looking for servants. His service is perfect freedom. In fact, his service alone is perfect freedom. And the reason why Jesus is making this choice so stark is because the rock-bottom truth about life is that we are all servants of someone or something. You can serve self, you can serve money, you can serve fame, you can serve beauty, you can serve a worthy ideal a cause but humans are built for service or love or worship 
And while you can have many causes for which you volunteer, and sometimes you can even do more than one job in your work as an employer, you can only be slaves to someone or something. By our nature, we must be slaves to someone or something. We're built that way. We are exocet missiles of purpose, heat-seeking missiles of purpose, looking for a cause, a mission, a vision, a treasure, a master. You're going to lock on to someone or something. Now, you were made to serve God. But you don't have to serve God. You can choose. In fact, according to Jesus and many other parts of the Bible, you must choose. Joshua says, choose this day who you will serve. Now, of course, God is sovereign, and he's sovereign even over our choices. But you still have to actually choose yourself, even though God is somehow sovereign over that. And that would be another whole conversation we could have another week. But you still have to choose. Sometimes uh, people think that uh, they can have both. They can hedge their bets with treasuring treasures a little bit here and treasuring God a little bit there and perhaps have them both together combined in some way. But that's not who God is. It's not who we are. God is God. And he will not be satisfied with uh, someone pretending to serve him but really serving someone or something else any more than a girlfriend is likely to become a fiancé if the proposal is um, that she's quite loved along with one or two other people as well. And because we are who we are, heat-seeking missiles of purpose, we're going to lock onto someone or something, whether it's the Lord or mammon, some treasure. And I can tell you this, only one of them will fill you with light. Now, there are two recent news news items that illustrate uh, this. One is uh, of a British thief. He was a member of what was known as the Great Train Robbers. He died uh, just the other month at the age of 83. In his time, he was the mastermind behind what was then the biggest ever robbery. Despite all the millions they stole, he actually ended up surviving on assisted living after he had served his time in jail. Apparently, he said to a friend late in life, crime does not pay. Well, that is certainly true, but we might add, serving money does not pay. Does not pay. will fill you with darkness, not light. The other recent news item that illustrates this is of a New Mexico millionaire who's created an unusual challenge. He's uh, written a little simple poem in which he placed clues of the whereabouts of a hidden treasure worth millions of dollars uh, in various kind of gold items that he buried in uh, the great outdoors in New Mexico. The reason he did this is he says he wants people to explore and get out 
stop looking at their cell phones and explore the great outdoors. And he sees this treasure as a way to draw people outside again. Well, you might say, I suppose, that God has designed things similarly. There is a treasure. It's not outside, it's in heaven. In Matthew's gospel, the word heaven is used as a respectful replacement for the divine name. The treasure is God. He is the treasure. He is light. He is life. He is most treasurable. Beauty, glory, not money, not possessions, not success, not fame, not power, but God. Serve him. Let's pray together. Perhaps uh, you are someone who's uh, come to church for the first time for a while. And if truth be told, you have been experimenting with serving other treasures. Would you right now choose to serve God? Perhaps uh, you are someone who's been wondering whether serving God in full commitment is truly worth it. Would you examine the options? Consider the truth of what uh, Jesus has taught about uh, the very nature of us as people being unable to be satisfied with anyone or anything other than him. Would you see that light? Father, we pray this morning that we here would treasure you and choose to serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen.